Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for waking us up. Thank you for this new day. Thank you for these faithful brothers and sisters that are here uh, to, uh, to learn of how we could be more effective in reaching the world for Jesus. Lord, we pray that you bless us this morning, that you open our hearts and our minds, and that the Spirit will speak to us. And as we open your word, may it encourage us and strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I want to share briefly uh, the scripture that you are, we are all very familiar with. And that is, um, and, and, and the reason I'm sharing this is because I feel like I, feel like I have new light from, from this passage. And that is in, Rome, in, in, in Matthew chapter 20, excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, well, 21. Matthew 19, 20, and 21. And you know this by heart. And you hear this every time, not every time, but when there's an offering to be picked and you hear the scripture read, right? And um, so I'll read it. It says here, Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth where moth and rust does corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor dust corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For the longest time, for the longest time, I personally felt like God needs me. God needs me. You know, I am in need. He needs me in order for him to accomplish something. Sometimes we feel like that. You know, sometimes we feel, we feel like he needs us. That's why he called us. Um, but today, this passage speaks, uh, um, but recently, I should say, that this passage speaks to me in a different, different way. It says, lay not for yourself treasures in heaven, uh, treasures on earth, but in heaven. And as I was thinking, what is, it, what is the treasure that Jesus is talking about here? You know, we can't take our money to heaven. Is it like when we give our offering to the, when we give our money to the, into the offering plate, that that money somehow get transferred wirelessly somehow into heaven's um, uh, treasury, you know? I used to think like that. Well, when I give to God, when I give to God, does it transfer somehow, transfer to heaven? So, but you know, in heaven, we don't need money, right? We don't need gold, we don't need, we don't need anything. We don't need any riches. So what is it that goes to heaven? What is it? Oh, I should, should I say, who? <laughs> who is it that goes to heaven, right? So in reality, it's not the material that we're talking about. But what we're in, but, but it's the people. It's the people because we can't take anybody, we can't take anything to heaven according to the scripture, right? Just ourselves, right? We can take ourselves and who else? Our friends, our neighbors, our family, basically people. That's only, those are only thing, those are the only thing that can go to heaven with us. And so when Jesus laid for yourself, lay up for yourself, lay not up for yourself treasures on earth, not to invest on the earthly things, but to invest in people because that's the only thing that we can take to heaven is ourselves and others. And so, um, coming back to, I, I used to feel God needs me. You know, there's no Laotian pastor in America at the time when I was um, coming into the church. As a matter of fact, now we have, there's two of us in, in North America, Laotian North, Seventh-day Adventist pastors, there's two of us in North America. And but when I first started it, there was no Laotian pastor. As a matter of fact, there was no Laotian church anywhere in the world except a small, small church plant that Terry and her team was involved in. And so when I came to the church, I felt like, you know, I need to, I need to be involved. 
you know. And, and that is good, I think, at that time, uh, for the understanding of, of a young man that comes into the, and you know, catch, caught the fire. Um, but as I grow more and more, I come to realize that, you know, in reality, God doesn't need me because he can do so many things well without me, probably better, right? If he sent the angel to do the work, they probably do better. But why is it that he involves me? Why is it that, that he wants me in, to be involved? It's not so much that he needs me, but it's, 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 it's the fact that I need him. Yeah? It's the fact that I need him. It is the process of, of being involved in his work that has strengthened my, my faith, have, have saved my own soul, really. If I have not caught the, caught the passion of sharing the gospel with my people, I don't know where I would be at this, at this point. I remember, Terry, there were 30-plus um, young people from, at one time. There were many, many young people that comes into the church, that came into the church and studied the Bible and were baptized. But not many of us have stayed. There were, there were a handful of us that are still in the church today. One of my best friends in Washington, D.C., he's working with ADRA. He's involved in the ministry. Myself, involved in church plant. Another young man who's involved in the church in Holland now. Um, and another young man who is also later became, he came later on, who also now is a pastor, a Laotian pastor. And so as I can see God's leading, it's not so much of he, he needs me to be in part of, he needs my help, but it's that I need him. It is, for, it is for my own good that I'm involved in God's work. It is, in the, it is a process of, of saving my own soul, you know, and that's God's grace. God's grace. He could have chosen anyone, anyone. He could have chosen some, some other means to reach the world as soon as possible rather than using our human, fragile, human, sinful human being, right? He could have chosen angels to do it. But it, was, it is because he wants to bless us. He wants us to be in a part of that for our own blessing, for our own growth, for, so that when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, we can live with, we can, we can enjoy the treasures with the, with the joy, living in heaven throughout eternity with the joy that, yes, look at the treasures that, that God has blessed us with and that, have, have, that we have brought into the kingdom. And um, so that's a, that's a thought that I want to encourage you, encourage you with. It is God's grace that we hear, that we actively involve in his work. And, and I'm, so, I'm so thankful that I am a part of this, of this uh, reaching out to the world, reaching out to the people, reaching out to our neighbors, reaching out to my family. And I'll share with you more later how God has blessed me in the process of how he has helped me, one, my family, my mom and my dad and my siblings into, into the church. As you know, I was coming from the Buddhist background and I was the, the first Adventist, the first Christian in my family. And that process, it's, it's, it was not an easy process, but I'm standing here today as a testimony of God's goodness. You know, and that's, that's, that's all, all, all of us are. All of us are. We're standing here, we're here today as God's gracious goodness for allowing us to be a part of this important work. And I can't express that enough. So, at this time, I would um, go ahead and turn the time to, uh, to Terry, and I will share some more tomorrow. I didn't mean to share this, but I'll share it real no, quick. No, please do. One time, and, and you know, the devil does have power. I just want to bring it out. When my father was serving, serving as, as the spirit's spokesperson, I remember one time somebody got cut really bad from the field and they came with like blood. It was really, really bad flowing. 
really, really bad cut. And they came and made, they brought flowers, some flowers and a basket of like, uh, to honor the spirit. And my father would talk, he would, he would be like, whatever he said, you know, he said his thing, and he would blow on that, on the cut. And I'm like, after a few seconds, after a few seconds have gone by, I could see that the blood stopped, stopped, stopped flowing. And that's what he, that's what he, that's what he, that's part of the things that he does as the spiritual healer type of uh, person in our community. And there are many other events, you know, somebody would get sick and they would come to him, what should I do? What have I done wrong to do? How, how have I displeased the spirit? And they would say, well, he would, then he would go into some kind of prayer mode, uh, speaking to himself, you know, and then he would say, oh yeah, that's what you did the other day. This is what happened. You violated this spirit by doing this so and so. This is what you need to do. You need to take a chicken or a pig or something like that and go to the spirit house there and just ask for forgiveness and things like that. And there were and, and the spirit in my village, um, we didn't have a temple, although sometimes the Buddhist the monks would come from a different village. But we had we always had this uh, spirit house. And every time, that's, every time someone has and a different spirit house for different spirits in different parts of the town. And so if you do something wrong in a certain part of the town and your family gets really, really sick, that person has to go ask my dad. Um, it was my grandma before that, and then it was my dad. I have to ask my dad to see what's wrong, you know, why, what, what violation have that person have done. And they would go and ask. And, and it... He, they would get healed afterwards. The, my dad would say, you know, go do, do so and so and take this and that. Go there and do that. And they would do that and they would get healed. And that's, the devil does have the power to, to keep us under control, especially in places like where the, the gospel is not preached. And, you know, in my, my village, it's far, far from in the mountains, so there has never been a missionary to the village. And I was just in Laos. And I shared this for worship at ASAP a few weeks ago. I was just in Laos, and every time the children from the States, like our, our, our friends that have, that have come to the States and gone back to visit that are not Christians, every time they go there, they would get really sick. And, um, and part of the reason is because they, you know, they went here and pee on this, and <laughs> the kids, you know, they just, they just do crazy things with, uh, in the village, and, and, and they would offend the spirit, right? And so when my, my, my wife and my children went, my children are five, six, and eight, so they are, they are pretty young, and my aunts would be so scared. They'd be like, don't go there, don't go there, oh, don't do that, you know, don't cry so loud in the night. You know, they, they, she, would be, she would be scared, different things that we do, different places we went, and I want to show them. I've shared stories of how I grew up, and so when I went there, they were like, Dad, where was it that you caught the frog? Where was it that the snake bit you? Where was it that you, you drowned? You know, where was it you get stung by the, by the wasp? So they want to know everything that I've told them in, uh, from, as a story. And so I took them around the village. I went everywhere to different places, walked through the land that was belonging to, uh, to the spirit, was uh, through the, by the spirit house that we were not supposed to go. And my aunt went, don't go there, please, don't go there. She got scared. She was so freaked out. She was afraid that we would get sick or get, uh, you know, get hurt by the spirit. But we were saved, and they were just so amazed. We, they were just so amazed. Nothing touched us. We didn't get sick. We didn't even get diarrhea. <laughs> and so, and just, they, they, they was just testimony to them. And they know that we, we serve Jesus. They call it, the, the, you know, the Jesus people. 
And so they know that we serve Jesus. And it's just a testimony of how Jesus protected us without a need to sacrifice a pig before we could walk on that land, without sacrificing a, a chicken before we can cross this land. And so it's just a freedom. And, and I, I, my aunt now, my aunt, who was my mom's younger sister, who was so concerned about the whole thing, she is now studying the Bible with my mom. And so and she, she's studying. The, there's no church in the village except in Thailand, so they have to go over to the Thailand side for, to, to worship once in a while. But just a testimony of how God is, is, is um, showing his power there now. And I hope that someday, you know, someday God would lead me or someone to go there and share the gospel in that little village. Well, first I want to start with this. The world in a nutshell, have you seen this? If the world population could be condensed into a community of 100 people, there would be five North Americans, nine Latin Americans, 11 Europeans, 15 Africans, and 60 Asians. And in terms of who needs to be reached for the gospel, North Americans, know so much about the gospel. Even a homeless person on the streets can find out, can get a boombox and turn to a Christian station here in America. But um, not that there's nothing to do here, but in terms of need, we in North America have the gospel accessible to us. Nine Latin Americans, there are, the ratio of Adventists to population in Latin America is, in many countries, is greater than it is here. Europeans, while they, in many ways, they've turned secular, turned away from God, they still have access to it. And in Africa, there's a, there are various countries. There are language groups in Africa that are not reached. But in many countries in Africa, there are more Adventists per capita than here. We're in the middle of an in, influx of refugees from the Congo, uh, 50,000 refugees from the Congo, most of which speak Kinyarwanda, Kirundi. Um, and one whole group of refugees coming out was all Adventists. We have 26 churches that have church plants among the Kinyarwanda, Kirundi-speaking language groups that have sprouted up just within the last three or four years. Um, most of them within the last one to three years. In fact, there's a 600-member church in Grand Rapids, Kinyarwanda-speaking church, as we speak. <clears throat> yes? Are they, going, are they going all over the U.S., or are they just coming to specific areas? All over the U.S., uh, but there's a large population in Grand Rapids. There's a 450-member church in Tucson, Arizona, no, Phoenix, and a 150-member church in Tucson. Um, there, are, there's a, there are hundreds in Texas. Yeah. Um, they're scattered. Um, but when we look at Asians, <laughs> 
I remember before I went to Asia, most Asians looked the same to me. Now after being in Asia, I can't say I can always tell by, often I can tell by looking the, the main part of Asia they're from. And if I hear the language, I can often, I mean, even if I hear them speaking English, I can usually tell the accent um, of the larger, larger language groups. But Asians, the, the 1040 window uh, spans most of Asia. So strategically speaking, if you're standing back and saying, who shall I reach out to? Probably Asians. That's probably, that's where the greatest need is. Um, and Asia is opening up to the gospel. We don't always hear it here, but my husband, as a Thai, listens to Thai news, and just recently he heard something that was so thrilling. The Chinese government is now leaning toward they have a strategy now to encourage their people to become Christians. And it, it hasn't reached every level yet, it, but they say that Christians are easier to govern. Christians are more helpful to their communities. So they feel that it's advantageous to, <laughs> advantageous to the government to open up to Christianity. And they are actively sending university students to the United States, and we have programs to welcome them for summer work-study programs. They may just be working at Burger King or McDonald's, but their goal in being here is to learn about our culture. Yes? Because of the power of the papacy, is Christianity by Chinese government defined as Roman Catholicism, or is it the whole? Well, spectrum? now that's a good question. Yeah. I, th I think that probably they aren't real clear on the definition and sure. <laughs> the specifics of who's who in Christianity. But I think there are enough denominations that have been sending people in to teach English and to do various things there. And we know our church is growing rapidly in China. Yes, so yes. That may have the attention of the government too. I'm sure it does. In our history, we've been very, uh, we've been able to be very close to some people in the government and so that may, there may be an element of that that's encouraging them. I don't know all of what's behind the scenes, but I just wanted to share that breaking news. Yes, Sarah. Um, I was just in China a couple of months ago. And for the sake of the recording, <laughs> um, I was just saying, I was just in China a few months ago and also last summer. Um, and I don't know what the government is planning to do in the future, but I know as of now, they allow Christianity as long as the pastor and the leader of the church has been trained by the Chinese government universities. So I don't know how much of their wish to open up to Christianity is um, to open up to true Christianity with all of its freedom of choice and conscience, and how much of it is we want the good parts of Christianity, but we still want to control our people. Yeah. I don't know. Just a thought. 
Very good thought. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> and in a little bit, I'm going to ask Sarah to share something else. Um, we touched yesterday how God has brought, God in his providence has brought men to our very doors and thrust them as it were into our arms that they might learn the truth and do a work we could not do to get the light before men of other tongues. Um, I'd like to share three quick stories that illustrate how when we work on the plan of addition, God works on the plan of multiplication. Some returned to the home country as missionaries. There was a, a pastor in Chicago gave an evangelistic series. One man who attended was from India. He con was convicted of the message and baptized and wanted to make sure that before he went back he had his baptismal certificate and materials to take back because he just happened to be the pastor of a 300-member non-denominational church in the mountains of India and he wanted to take them the Adventist message. Amen? The, if God could do this when before we even had a clue to the as to his global plan, what could he do if we were intentional? Um, but sometimes they don't even have to return to their homes. Uh, some just go back for a short visit. My husband was asked to speak for a Hmong camp meeting, a couple of Hmong camp meetings in Thailand among the Hmong people. And he said, let's make it an international camp meeting. In fact, let's do a youth camp and a family camp and make them both international. And um, ASAP Ministries sponsored some people from Laos to come. Some members from, and, and those from Laos were by far the most hungry for the Bible. They didn't even want to eat or sleep. They just said, can you teach us more? They just wanted to spend 24 hours a day studying the Bible. Um, the, we had members coming from France, uh, refugees who had resettled, been resettled in France, came to those meetings. Um, the Wisconsin Conference Executive Committee voted to sponsor 20 Hmong from China. But when they requested visas, 20 people going to the same place at the same time, they were denied. Um, suspicious of political intent. But God can turn the curse into a blessing. And thankfully, the Wisconsin Conference didn't have the heart to ask them for the money back. So you know what they did with it? They used it to build a training center and now instead of sending 20 people out of the country on a one-time basis, now they can train 20 people at a time on an ongoing basis there in the country to be gospel workers spreading the message and that's exactly what they're doing. My husband has been back there to visit and seen it and take pictures. It's beautiful what's happening there. Isn't it amazing what God can do? gives me goosebumps to think about. Um, but um, 
But we also took refugees from our church plant, uh, some of our church plants here. One, one was a little lady by the name of Dia, who's not even as tall as Kayla. <laughs> and her name is Dia, it means spoon. My husband's name is Gao, which means kettle. So he liked to say, and they're from the same last name, so we call her auntie. And so he likes to say, I cook the spiritual food, and she spoons it out to the people. <laughs> and that's, that's really so fitting, because she loved to talk to all kinds of people and just tell them about the gospel. And so she went with us, too. And after the two camp meetings, of which we had 500 people each, we were going to visit a refugee camp with Karen people on the Thai-Burma border. And she said, I wonder if you could take me to the bus station. I have my citizenship now, and I think it's safe for me to, to go back for a visit to visit my relatives. And we said, sure. It was pouring down rain, but we took her there and dropped her off, and she went to Laos. Um, when we picked her up, she told us that she, her granddaughter was married now, but having trouble getting pregnant. And she said, I told her, God can help with that, and I can pray for you. But if I pray for you, you better not be asking the shaman to help you, you know, the spirits to help you at the same time. You better cut those strings off you think they're protecting you from the spirits. You better destroy your sh that shrine, that spirit house. and. And just, if you ask God, just ask God. And if God, if and when God gives you a child, you better take that child to church and go yourselves. Well, fast forward two months after we got back, we heard the good news, her granddaughter's pregnant. By the way, the family agreed to her <laughs> conditions, and she did pray for them. Two months after she got back, she heard the good news, granddaughter's pregnant. Fast forward two years, the whole extended family is attending church. Three young men want to be pastors. What did we say? They can do a work that we could not do. Not what did we say. What did God's servants say? People from these cultures, when they know the gospel, can do a work we could not do. Pastor Sang, Exhibit A, <laughs> is doing a work I could never do. He has developed over 30 contextualized, and by contextualized, I mean um, not, uh, not leaving Bible principles for the culture, but I mean sharing the gospel within the context of the Lao culture, and his materials are being ordered by people in Laos for for Lao people in China I, I'm sorry in Russia right and these his DVDs his videos are going all over the world in the Lao community so he he is doing a work that I could never begin to do um, but they don't even have to go back necessarily for a visit some just call home. Uh, when we f were first called from California to, to church plant among the Hmong people in Wisconsin and Minnesota, 
the clerk of the English-speaking congregation at the Madison Community Church where we were doing our church, our Hmong church plant, said, you know, I think I'd like to write an article about your family and put it in the paper. So she did, and when it came out, she brought copies to church, and while they'd blown up our picture to a quarter of a page, and they gave our church a whole page. Um, and we had a chance to advertise some upcoming evangelistic meetings and so forth. They had the story of our family. And I looked across the page and saw the story of a Native American man who had just turned 100. I thought, oh, that's interesting. But little did I know that there was a Mongolian woman taking care of him. She never read the North Side News either until neighbors gave her a copy so she could see the story that had been written about the man she was taking care of. She looked across the page and saw a picture of an Asian man and his family, read further and found out he was a pastor of an Adventist church and she couldn't believe her eyes. She had been watching 3ABN, learned so many wonderful things, become interested in our message and looked for an Adventist church, but the only one she found was clear across town. She took a taxi there once, but it was a big church and she never ended up going back. But she looked at the address of this church and she said, you know, I think I could walk there. It's a hefty walk, two or three miles at least, but she walked there. But we happened to be in Minnesota because we were spending two weeks in Minnesota, uh, five hours north every month and then coming back for two weeks. Well, she was persistent, she came back and met us and told us that, uh, you know, how she <laughs> discovered the church. And long story short, she became a Seventh-day Adventist. And the first impulse of the renewed heart is to bring others also to the Savior. And so she called home. Mom, you got to find a, an Adventist church. Wasn't long, Mom was saying, oh, I'm learning so many wonderful healthy recipes. Oh, she was going to a cooking school and her mother was so excited about what she was learning in the Adventist church. Next thing I got an email from Tanya saying, do you know of an English speaking church in Germany? Because I told my brother is working in Germany and I told him you got to find an Adventist church. You got to go to the Adventist church and he's going, but they, he's not fluent in German yet. He speaks English. So do you know of an English-speaking Adventist church in Germany where he could attend? Look at that. She didn't go anywhere. And she was reaching out to her people on two continents. I think there's a little bit of wisdom in what God inspired his servant to say. These people from within their cultures can do a work that we cannot do. But there's something new that, I, that I'm just discovering beyond this. I thought that they could, you know, I pictured it, okay, they can reach out back to their own people. But I learned that's not all. Um, the presentation that I shared with you yesterday, I give in churches and often, you know, they sh 
shake your hand on the way out and make comments and often people will say, well, that was interesting. You know, I didn't, I never really quite saw it that way before. Um, that, or that was nice. Thank you for your presentation and thank you for your work. And, but I, I was asked to speak for a church planting boot camp in Florida and I was expecting that probably I would have Caucasian pastors, English-speaking pastors coming to learn how to reach out to refugees. But I walked in and it was mostly our church, refugee church planners there for the seminar. The room was nearly filled with our refugee church planners. Well, I knew that they were coming, but I thought it would, they would be in the minority and the majority would be our American pastors wanting to learn to reach out to refugees. And I thought to myself, wow, Lord, what do I do? I didn't prepare for <laughs> I, I didn't have the right target audience in mind when I prepared this. What should I do? Should I do something totally different? But wow, what? Or should I just go ahead with this? And I, as I prayed, I felt like I should go ahead with my presentation. And I did. And I'm glad I did. I was totally un I was not prepared for the response. When these people heard God's strategic plan to reach the world through indigenous missionaries from within the cultures, they immediately called a meeting. They said, go, it was, um, they said, go get your food and we're going to have a working meal to talk about. And they, they got into groups, various language groups, met in different places to talk about which other language groups they could reach beyond their own. And it wasn't just talk, because we now have a church plant among the Falam people in Canada that we didn't have before, because the Burmese-speaking people decided that Falam and Hakka were the two languages they wanted to reach out to next beyond Zomi and Mizo and um, the current and Burmese, the languages that we currently have a work among. And they're working on reaching the Hakka. The Karen refugees, and we're going to talk about that a little more, the Karen refugees from the Thai Burma border, the east side of Thailand, got together and they said, we can reach out to the Kareni people, a large population that's not reached by our church yet. And even though we don't speak much of their language, they're a smaller language group. There are some of them who speak some of our language. So now they are reaching, in Phoenix, they're reaching out to the Kareni people in ways, they are reaching out to language groups I never even heard of, but they grew up with. So. These indigenous missionaries, not only can they reach their own people better than we can, they can reach other language groups we're not even aware of. So um, what can we do? Um, often the hardest step is the first step. Thank you. <laughs> um, once we're acquainted 
getting acquainted with refugee groups is often the hardest thing. So I'd like to talk about how to find refugees. One of the questions we get the most is, how can I find refugees in my area? And there are a few places without refugees, but there are also places even in the rural areas now where there are refugees coming. I wish I had prepared a map. Foreign-born populations are growing most rapidly in the Midwestern states. The rate of increase of foreign-born populations is greater in cent the central United States than anywhere across the United, Nation, uh, United States. So places like North Dakota, <laughs> places like Mich Coldwater, Michigan. <laughs> Sarah, could you come and share your experience? So, so I live in Coldwater, which is south of Battle Creek. It's a really small town. I mean, we don't have a mall. We have a Walmart. That's about it. Um, but recently, in the past probably 10 years, we've had a lot of immigrants and refugees from Yemen. Does anyone know where Yemen is? It's the Middle Eastern country. Um, Yemen's been in the middle of a civil war for a long time. Their country's a mess. So I was working last semester at a middle school. We have about five, 500 students from, it's just a public school, 500 students from grades six through eight. And I was working as their librarian. Well, I noticed that there was a lot of books um, for the middle schoolers, but there wasn't a lot of books that focused on um, ESL, you know, students who are at an, an older grade level, but they can't read at that level. So I decided, well, I'm going to write a grant, get some money for this library to buy ESL books. Well, of course, part of the grant is going to ask, what's your target audience? What's your target need? You know, these types of things. I was like, I want some statistics. I knew there was a lot of Yemeni students at our school, but I didn't realize how many until I went into the database. And about 150 students of the 500 listed Arabic as their mother tongue. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of Yemenis in our town. And every time you go to Walmart, you see women wearing burqas. And every time you go to the library, there's women you know, wearing the hijab, working there. And there's the Yemenis kids in the park. They're everywhere. And at my middle school, there was two Arabic translators that worked there full time. Um, they translated documents. They translated meetings with parents. They called home when their kid got in trouble, they translated for students who just arrived. Most of the students that I talked to that were in 6th and 7th and 8th grade had come to America in the past three years. And so one of my um, Arabic-speaking co-workers, her name was Tahani, she was about my age, and we became really good friends. And um, she was always very modestly dressed, she wore hijab, she wore a long skirt, long sleeves. Um, and she was just a really nice human being. We got to be really good friends throughout the time I was working there. I also made friends with two other young women that were teaching there. Um, we were all single young ladies. We had a great time hanging out. And around Christmas time, my church had a women's ministry event, a cookie exchange. And they said, oh, you know, invite your friends. This is a very community-oriented event. 
And I go to a really small church, Burlington. We probably have 30 or 40 people attending on Sabbath. Um, well, I thought, oh, well, I'll invite my two friends from work, Sarah and Chelsea. Sarah is, I don't know, Baptist, and Chelsea's Lutheran. And I was like, I'll invite them. So I invited them. Oh, yeah, sure, we'd love to come, you know. Well, the day of the cookie exchange, I was working, and Sarah stopped by my office, and she's like, oh, hey, what time is the cookie exchange? When are we going to meet up? Whatever, and we are making plans. And she's like, did you invite Tahani? And I was like, no. <laughs> she's like, well, we always hang out. You should invite Tahani. And I was like, yeah, I probably should. <laughs> I never, the thought never crossed my mind. Like, why would my Muslim coworker want to come to a Christian cookie exchange? Like, you know, I don't know. I just, the thought had never crossed my mind. Well, around lunchtime, Tahani stopped by, and I was like, hey, we're doing this cookie exchange thing in my church. You want to come? And she's like, well, sure. What time is it? <laughs> and I was like, and then I felt guilty. I was like, well, sorry, it's kind of last minute. I didn't really, I kind of forgot to invite you, and I'm like stumbling over my words, you know. And she's like, yeah, well, my mom has a doctor's appointment in the afternoon. I have to go with her and translate because she doesn't really speak English. And then after that, we'll just come over to the church. And I was like, well, it's so last minute. You don't have to bring anything, you know, just come and hang out. She's like, oh, no, no, we'll bring something. I was like, no, really, you don't. Because <laughs> then I was feeling guilty, you know. So... I, I was running late because, oh goodness, I'm always late for everything. Um, so I was running late and I was like, she's not going to come. Like, why would she come? I, I got a text on my phone. She's like, we're here. Where are you? <laughs> oh, I was like, no, you're here and I'm not. And I like, I told my mom, I was like, mom, drive the other car because the cookies are still in the oven. I was like, drive the other car. I have to get to church. Thankfully, church is only like five miles from my house. So I show up and... There she is, her and her mom. They're sitting in the car in the parking lot of my church waiting for me. And so I invited them in, and my other friends were already there from work. And so we all sat at a table, and um, her mom got out of the car, and she was carrying this box of baklava treats from Turkey. And they had bought them at the Middle Eastern store in my town. And they're like, we brought these special things from our culture for your cookie exchange. And we had a great evening. All the ladies of the church were so welcoming. Um, Tahani's mom barely spoke English, but she somehow managed to make friends that night. Um, Tahani was like, wow, thank you so much for inviting me. We had such a great time. We ate together. We all shared our cookies. And um, sadly, right after that, I went to China. <laughs> so I don't really know. I'm hoping. I just got back last Thursday, and I haven't been home yet because I came to camp meeting, but I'm hoping that when I get back, I'm able to reconnect with Tahani. They invited me to their house for Eid, which is a, a Muslim holiday, and I wasn't able to go because I was in China, but um, I think this story just speaks to the fact that sometimes we're scared of offending people. I was like, oh my goodness, is she going to be like offended or think it's weird that I'm inviting her to some Christian event. But they just jumped at the chance, and they were so ready to come. And I think, I don't know if she'll ever become Adventist or not, but I think about it. They're new to this place. Well, they've been here a while, but she told me when they applied for their visa, they had their grandparents already living in cold water who were willing to sponsor them and take them in. It still took their family seven or eight years to process their paperwork. 
Now, Yemen, I don't know about now, I haven't checked recently, but at least last year, Yemen was on the travel ban list from the Trump administration. Um, and I was sitting in the school office, and the principal was talking to a dad whose son had gone home for the summer, and he was stuck in Yemen. And all his family's in cold water. You know, these things, we don't realize the struggle that some people go through, and what they're looking for is a friend. What they're looking for is someone to say, hey, you're part of my community now. Come with me to this event. You know, Tahani was just like, wow, you invited me to something. Like, she was so ready. And I think that um, Terry's probably going to talk more about how to find these people. But for me, it was just a coworker. you know? Maybe it's someone you meet in the checkout line at the grocery store who's dressed differently than you. They're wearing a burqa or a hijab or you know, a Pakistani outfit or whatever. And I think that what they're looking for the most is just someone to say, hey, let's be friends. Let's hang out. Tahani and Sarah and Chelsea and I would go out to eat to our favorite Mexican restaurant and just talk about school and work and life. And Tahani would tell us how she's 28 years old and single, so she can't live in her own apartment. She still has to live with her dad's family because that's their culture. But it was just fun to make friends. And I know that's what these refugees and immigrants and people are looking for. They're in a new place, a new culture. They just want someone to say, hey, let's hang out. Do you need anything? Amen. Thank you, Sarah. This is wonderful. In fact, I'd like to say right here that when I did the research into what refugee groups we have right here in Michigan, it's primarily from various Muslim countries. There are, um, there are others, and we'll go through a list, but um, for example, when they started to say that when we started to hear on the news that Muslim, that refugee, Syrian refugees were pouring into the states, I did, I did the research. I checked to see how many cases, and in um, in one year, we had a total of 365 cases come to the United States from Syria. That's not pouring. That's one a day. And I noticed they are very spread out. They had gone to every state except one or two. Usually one case per state. I'm, it was probably intentional to spread them out so they can't plan something bad or something as if they were. Um, but the largest number of cases was 36 to Michigan. So, and I'd just like to say a word on the topic of why I think refugees are, why I think God is allowing this slowdown right now in refugees, especially from Muslim countries. My personal conviction is that God is giving us, the remnant church, his chosen people, an opportunity to build trusting relationships like Sarah is doing with those who are already here. Because God, the, any new culture that comes here, the first people who arrive wherever they are in the economic or educational uh, spectrum, 
the first ones to arrive are always, they always become leaders in the community. They always are the ones that the new arrivals look to for direction as to who to trust and who not to trust. So if we sincerely care about the refugees who are here, and especially right now, the Muslim refugees, the Arabic-speaking refugees who are already right here among us, if we care deeply about them as people, and like Sarah said, bring them into our circles. Gabby Phillips, Gabriella Phillips, our division-wide Adventist Muslim Relations Director, lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and she has a ministry to refugees. She has a team of volunteers. They welcome refugees. They pick them up from the airport, help them get settled in homes. They're working with the local resettlement agency. Um, to come alongside, they went to the Refugee Resettlement Agency and said, how can we come alongside you? That, remember that term, come alongside. How can we come alongside you in welcoming refugees? And so that's how they got, a, you know, got acquainted with their needs and started welcoming them at the airport. And they are developing trusting relationships with a core group of people. Um, after a couple of years, and they, they, they meet together and talk about their faith. Um, the experience I shared yesterday was in the home of one of those that is being mentored by Gabby and her team. For being, I don't know if you'd say mentored, they're just, they're just sharing very openly on topics of faith. Um, and now that group of Muslims, some are refugees, some are immigrants, they said to Gabby and her team, you know, we can help you pick up the new incoming refugees at the airport. We can help with some of these things. You know, you don't, your team doesn't have to do it alone. Let us help you. And so now when they pick them up at the airport, they, they tell them right off the bat, you know, when you come here, you've got to be open to some things you were never open to before. You've got to be open to reading the Bible and to hearing about uh, Jesus. And, and so now these newly arriving refugees are asking questions that the others... Um, didn't start asking for two years. So here we go again. God, um, when we share Jesus and live his love to the people who are here, they can't help but spread it. Um, and so getting a quick, how much time? There's so much to share. How much time do I have left? Ten minutes. Ten minutes. Okay, we're going to really fly through here. And, um, I wanted to get a handle on what, oops, what we're looking at. I can, I can email this presentation to you probably if you'd like. Um, but 
there, there are refugees, asylum seekers, we touched on that yesterday, immigrants, temporary visas, temporary workers, international students. Um, international students are a wonderful opportunity for us to, to share the gospel with the world because like an, um, a Chinese businesswoman told me, a young woman who ended up uh, getting, she came here to work and got mixed up with a bad relationship and through that experience, God's so good at turning, the, turning curses into blessings, but she found an Adventist family that took her in, and they took her to camp meeting out in Washington, I think it was, and she discovered God and became a Seventh-day Adventist. And she said, the temporary workers and the international students coming from China, these are the rising star of China. These are the people that can go back and change China. They may just be working at Burger King or McDonald's, but like I said, they're here to learn our culture. And in God's scheme of things, they're here to learn the gospel. But we need to reach out to them. There are hundreds of students working in tourist centers, Wisconsin Dells. We have people coming from all over Asia. I happen to fly into Chicago and ride on the same bus with a young man from Taiwan who was going to work in with Wisconsin Dells. And the bus driver said, when I drop him off, can you take him to get his ticket from Wisconsin, from Madison to Wisconsin Dells? Because I have to keep going. I, it's just a park and ride. I can't help him. Can you help him? I said, sure. And went to ask what time the next bus went out. It was early. It was early morning. And they said, oh, the next bus goes out at 8 p.m. And I said, oh, no way. He had already spent 24 hours in the, Bay, in the San Francisco airport because of a mix-up over a.m. p.m. And now he's going to wait all day in a bus station where there's no place to sleep. I said, come home with us. We'll get you to Wisconsin Dells later. When do you have to work? Oh, in a couple days. Oh, no problem. He came home with us, and he conked out on the sofa, one leg on the floor. He was so tired, he couldn't even hardly stand up. And we, we took him to camp meeting with us, and, and he said, you know, I mean, he knew we were Christians. We prayed before our meals. We, you know, just, and just out of the blue, I hadn't really done anything I thought to share my faith and out of the blue we were walking back from the meeting to our cabin he said you know I might become a Christian and um, he calls me mom <laughs> he's gone back to Taiwan now but there are opportunities all around us I think the most important thing thank you yes you can share these with people um, Thank you, Pastor Paul. He's distributing these cards. You can get more of them. You can download them from the website. Our good friend Scott Griswold took my idea and ran with it. But I remember my first trip to the North American Division after I was asked to coordinate this ministry. I met people from so many 
cultures who spoke so many languages, but they happened to be ones that I was not familiar with, and I, I felt at a loss to have anything to share with them. I said, we need a card that we can give out. People can go to a website and find resources in their language, and here, here is one you can show. Um, and this is, this is primarily for when you don't have a chance to build a close relationship. Right. But if you, if you have a chance to build a relationship, that's even better. That's even better. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be either or. Right. If you have the opportunity, build a relationship first, go to the website, and from your conversation, pick and choose the resources you think they're ready for. But um, the biggest thing is, is to pray for wisdom. God will lead you. Um, I was going to go through refugee language groups. I'm just going to fly through this. Buddhists from Southeast Asia that came from 75 into the 90s. There are animists from Southeast Asia. You may recognize a couple of these names. Mong, Mien, Kamu, Montagnard are animists from Central Vietnam. There are several language groups. This is just, there are many more. Um, Oh, there's so much more I'd like to share. I've touched on the refugees from Eastern Myanmar and Western Myanmar, Arabic. The largest, most open, but least reached refugee, new incoming refugee language group in North America right now is the Nepali-speaking Bhutanese refugees. And so if you, if you meet any Nepali, they are from a Hindu background. We need hundreds of cross-cultural cross-cultural volunteer missionaries to this language group. I uh, wish I could say more. Christ's method alone will bring true success in reaching the people. We're familiar with this. Um, five steps, and I want to stress that these are like rungs on a ladder, and it's what happens if you skip a rung? It, it's, it can be dangerous to skip a rung on the ladder. And it can be, be dangerous to the spiritual life of the people you're trying to work with if you skip one of these rungs on this ladder. First, you need to mingle. You need to mingle like Sarah did. Invite them to your home. Go to... Um, Go to them. A friend of mine who works at the GC, we, we met in the mission field, Karen. <laughs> um, and we, we love, um, we're so passionate about reaching other cultures, but she was thinking, you know, she's working in the missions department, but she thought, what am I doing personally to actually actively reach out personally? to other cultures, and especially to the Syrian refugees. And she started thinking, what can I do? And she's shy. So she tried to think of something she could do. She, did, she went out and bought a hijab, got someone to tell her how to put it on, and she went to... She, she actually went to the Islamic Center near her home 
and she the mosque near her home and she was looking it was scary for her because she, she's shy she, she's thinking I don't know what to do um, but she just walked in and she saw some ladies well that saw some men first and they directed her to the ladies and she just walked up to them and she said um, I think they asked her which mosque she was from because they didn't recognize her and she said well I'm just you know where can I I just um, want to tell you that I'm sorry about the things you're hearing on the news and I'm sorry about um, the negativity that that you must be hearing and I just want you to know that I'm happy you're here and I just want to say welcome and tears came to those women's eyes just to know that she would go out of her comfort zone to come to them and say welcome to my country that's something any of us <laughs> could do we could just go and say welcome God is impressing people a pastor driving to his church past a mosque every day and one day he felt a strong impression to stop and what am I gonna say what am I gonna do I don't know <laughs> but he stopped and he saw some men talking and they they said which mosque are you from you know but he said no I'm just I'm the pastor of a Seventh-day Adventist church down the road and I just came to say, you know, uh, if there's anything we can do for you, just let us know. And they said, you know, seriously, we were just talking. They looked at each other in amazement. They said, we were just praying for someone, for, for what to do about a situation, because we're actually, that was after the incident of someone going into a mosque and shooting people in the back as they were, they were praying. And they said, we're actually thinking that we should probably find someone to kind of watch. We're actually afraid that while we're praying and our backs are to the door, we're praying that someone could come in and do the same thing to us. And so would you mind just standing out front while during, on Fridays during our prayer time? And he said, I'll be happy to. And then he got some members from his church to rotate and they were so grateful. There are all kinds of things we can do, mingle, as one mingle desiring their good. Pray that, uh, make sure that our goal is to do them good. Eternally, yes, but right here and now too. <laughs> yes. So I would ask you, would you encourage Sarah Invest in a burqa. Sure. Have you checked it out? You know, if I would have stayed in cold water, I would have bought a hijab and asked my friend if I could go to the mosque with her. But since I only knew her about four months then, it's like, you don't meet somebody and then a month later, hey, can I go to the mosque with you? I mean, unless it comes up in conversation. Yeah. You know. But since she had invited me to her home for Eid, and then I'm assuming they would also go to the mosque. I would have bought a hijab. Because yeah. most of the women in my town don't wear burqas, only a few. Um, 
but they all wear the job, long skirt, long sleeves. So, yeah. I would have found out what it, what it took to yeah. be respectful. And, and I think that even though you're headed on to another area, that is home for you, and you'll be coming back off and on, I think you could invest in a hijab. It's not a big investment. And just... So she just wears a scarf most of the time. Okay. Know, it up, so oh, sure. Scarf, you know, sure. Whatever, yeah. Great, yeah. And, and, you know, you can take it by baby steps if they've invited you to their home. Just any time you're home, just touch bases. And isn't this the month of Ramadan? What could she do during the month of Ramadan to reach out? Right. Thank you. Probably when you get home, how? Yes. Well, how long will you be home? Will you be home? This summer. Okay. Well, let's all make it a point to pray for Sarah as she reaches out this summer. God can do a lot in a short time. I'm sure that's not an accident. I'm sure not an accidental appointment. I read one time, this has been probably six, seven years ago, it was an article about how Christians can reach out to Muslims during Ramadan. So one of the easiest and simplest things you can do is go to your local mobile or Sam's Club, buy a big container of, what kind of dates is it? Those big soft, medjool dates. Oh. Just go to the mosque, give it to whoever comes near the door, and just say it's our wow. to you. Wonderful, thank you. I never tried it, but I've always remembered it. I thought someday I might. Well, that's wonderful. I'm, I hadn't, I didn't even know that. And usually with Muslim refugees, I ref, oh, that's not my forte, so I refer my friends to, uh, you know, I, to get my friend Gabby Phillips. But that's wonderful. Just taking Majul dates as a gift to the mosque. Wonderful. I think sometimes we sit around and, oh, this culture likes this, and this culture you have to do that. And that is true. You want to be culturally sensitive. You want to be culturally respectful. Um, but at the same time, if you, if you freak out about it too much, you'll never do anything. Right. You know, um, I remember when I first went overseas and I was working in Micronesia, and there was a lot of things I did that, looking back on it now, I was like, ooh, that was culturally insensitive or inappropriate. But people understand, okay, they look at my face, they realize I'm white, I'm not one of them, and they'll be more forgiving as long as from my heart I say, I love you, and I want to be your friend. You know, and I'm not, I think the biggest thing that I, that people realize is when you are being condescending, they don't like that. But when you're just saying, I'm at the same level as you, we're humans, I can learn something from you, and you can bless my life in some way. That's what matters the most. And then they'll teach you. They'll take you into their life. They'll say, oh, by the way, in this culture, you don't really, sh you probably shouldn't say that or do that or motion that way or whatever. But yeah. Very good point, Sarah. You said it beautifully. Um, and I was going to mention when we, soon after we arrived um, in, Sac in Madison to reach out to the Hmong people there, um, one of the members of the church said, I'm so happy you're here. You know, we knew that the Hmong people were there in that apartment complex just next to the church, but I didn't know the language, we didn't know the language and culture, and I didn't want to offend them. And so they coexisted on the same block for 
literally decades with no meaningful interaction just because they were afraid they were, might offend them because they didn't know the culture. And I think if we err, it should be on the side of trying to get to know people. And like you said, if we're not condescending, if we show that we want to learn from them, God can, God can work out the rest. He can cover our mistakes. So, um, I would say, remember, angels are waiting to cooperate with all who will devise plans whereby souls for whom Christ died <laughs> may hear the good tidings of salvation. Um, so God bless you as you reach out. Pray for his leading, and I can hardly wait to hear what he does. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And this is miracle territory. Reaching cross-culturally, I am convinced that it is the, I am convinced it is God's top prayer. It's clearly his way of rapidly reaching the world, finishing the work so he can come home. He can come and take us home to heaven. So thank you for inviting me. It's been an honor to be here. Could we pray together as we close? Dear Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity of contemplating how to reach out to your precious, precious children who may not know you as well as we do or who may even be closer to you than we ever realized and you want us to learn things from them about how to really be submissive to you and really seek you with all our hearts. So please guide us and lead us. Help us to realize the to help us to sense the significance of the divine appointments you give us to reach out to the stranger in our midst. Thank you so much. We love you in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.